Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we go behind the headlines. We begin with that special election in St. Louis. I sat down yesterday with reporters Rachel Lipman and Jason Rosenbaum. Annie Rice handily won the 8th Ward Aldermanic race this week, but as I suggested to Rachel, special elections such as this week's can be a little complicated. It's governed by the St. Louis City Charter, which says that if it is a special election for a board of aldermen, there are no primary elections. So if you want the nomination of your party, if you want to run with a D or an R or a Green or a Constitution or a Whig or whatever uh, on designation on the ballot, your party central committees are the ones to make the nomination. They go and they say, we want this candidate to represent our party on the ballot. That's usually not a problem. Until you have the committee man and the committee woman from the same ward wanting the nomination of the party. It's sort of like being asked to pick your favorite kid, and that usually doesn't go very well. And that creates certain problems for Annie Rice, I, I take it, Jason. I guess. But one of the <laughs> I po- mean, she won, so it didn't create I mean, that she, many problems. She won, but th- this is the point I've been making on social media and in our podcast with her. Uh, St. Louis is a 100% Democratic elected city. This is not 1920s or 1930s anymore where Republicans have a chance to win either citywide offices or aldermanic offices. And I, and I hate to plug my own home ward of the 16th ward, but there are more Republicans that live there than any other part of the city. And a Republican that spent over $20,000 in an aldermanic race only got 32 percent of the vote in a two-person race. So the reason I bring up that verbose background is you have to question the wisdom of party committees choosing a Democratic nominee in a city where the Democrat is going to win every single local race. Um, Now, to change that would require likely changing the charter in in the city because what Rachel just mentioned are the rules that are enshrined in the charter. And I don't know if this situation prompts people to do that. I think that they're are a lot of Democrats in, in St. Louis that like the fact that aldermanic seats and especially special elections are chosen in, in this way. But I think that this race has really showcased kind of the anachronism that that is. And what I've said is that the, the you can dislike what the process was and how the process came out and how people were treated in this process, but it is the process that's in, in law. Uh, the, I mentioned, uh, the, you know, the potential problem for her being that uh, she's angered some people in the Democratic uh, hierarchy and that... Yeah, I mean, she she has. But again, it's also one of those things where she won. So it didn't create a whole lot of problems. She was going to have to step down if she won as Democratic committee woman anyway. The charter also says that you can't be a member of a central party committee if you're serving as an alderman because they do pick the replacement candidates. So whether that causes problems, you know. It would be one thing if she had lost and was trying to re- and was still a Democratic committee woman. Again, these are elected positions, so it the ability of you know elected officials to unseat other elected officials, like Jason says, seems a little weird in some ways. You know, these the the people picked her to be in office, and they should be the ones to determine whether or not she keeps this Democratic committee woman office if she had lost. Um, yeah, I've seen versions of bylaws floating around out there that would give them the ability to essentially vote people who support do not support the Democratic candidate off the island, if you will, or to censure or rebuke them. But I've also heard and seen members of the party tell other media outlets that, yeah, maybe we need to stop and, and take a look at this 
process. And Rice herself said in the podcast yesterday, it makes no sense to go after me and my supporters. We've got to do a big tent here. There's excitement and energy that comes from having multiple people run. People get engaged. And if you block them from being engaged how they want to be engaged, they're not going to come out and vote for the candidates that you want them to in the major elections like August, like November of 18, when they have candidates on the ballot that they need to protect. Yeah, well, she's got a year to unruffle whatever whatever feathers have been ruffled because she's going to run again in March of 19. Is in that March right? of 19. And she has said that, and Jason, um, you're the one who asked this question, she'll run with the D next to her name in 2019. This is not the first time it has happened that a person has been elected as an independent and then run as a Democrat in their future yeah, election. Because she's a Democrat. Yeah. It's not like she's a member of like the natural law party or some some obscure party with a, a, a different set of ideologies. And, and that's been the strange thing about this election to me. First of all, Paul Thaler and Annie Rice did not attack each other at all. And, and you and I both know, Don, that aldermanic races in St. Louis can be incredibly nasty affairs. Mm-hmm. And this one was not one of them. But their surrogates and supporters – kind of were on another level of animosity against each other, which was strange because having read both of their positions on things, fairly similar. I don't want to say exactly similar because Failer was in favor of a sales tax increase for, for police pay and Rice was against it. But on a lot of other philosophical issues, these candidates were, were pretty similar. I think this was just a classic St. Louis proxy war where on one side you had a group of St. Louis politicians that liked Failer. The other side you had people that didn't like the people that were supporting Failer. So they tried to say that because, you know, people like Cruson or Conway, Stephen Conway, the departing the alderman. firefighters, the police union, et cetera. They, they all were supporting Failer. The therefore, he, they, they, he, he was a faux progressive or something. And I didn't really see a lot of evidence of that. And I think it's just kind of a, an example of how oftentimes when there is a race between two fairly similar candidates, issues doesn't aren't often the the, the main uh, source of conflict. I'm an eighth, I'm an eighth ward resident, so I'm in a lot of those uh, Facebook groups, sort of social media uh, groups, just kind of watching the fun. And yeah, it was a lot of you know, well, you know, this person supported them, and they pulled you know little threads out of a conversation to make it look like an individual. And you know, yes, candidates may have had missteps, sort of of their own doing, but it was not something that they did for each other. These guys are neighbors for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, they literally live down the block mm-hmm. from each other. Yeah, and I think I, and most people. Agree even people that supported the other candidate, that the, the the person they weren't supporting was a good candidate and a good person. It, it was a remarkably clean race from candidate to candidate perspective. She's eager to be sworn in, too, as I understand it, because there are some issues that are very close to her heart that uh, she wants to be involved in. Yeah, and it sounds like they, they can't swear her in this week because of election certification rules, not that absentee military ballots are going to make a difference in this race. The, the margin of victory was big enough, but you still do have to wait for any of those ballots to come in to have those votes counted. Then the Board of Elections has to certify the results. So it'll likely be next Friday, the soonest that she is sworn in. They may wait um, a additional week or so. But yeah, she uh, is interested in being a part of the discussion around buffer zones at healthcare facilities, specifically the Planned Parenthood Clinic at Euclid and Forest Park. And I know she wants to be a part of the conversation around the potential of privatizing Lambert Airport. One other thing that uh, we, we've all noticed, I think, with with some interest is the fact there are now 13 women on the board of aldermen in the city of St. 13 Louis. women and nine 
members of the board who have been elected since last April, which is the largest turnover on that board in decades. Any significance to the uh, the, the, the gender issue, Jason? Oh, I, I think so, for sure. Um, we've talked often about how the fact that there's a fairly low percentage of women in the Missouri General Assembly, that might affect how decisions are made or, you know, sexual harassment situations in, in Jefferson City. I, I think when you have a board of aldermen that's almost 50-50 split between women and men and also a, a, a female mayor and a female comptroller and the possibility of a female board of aldermen president, depending on if Lewis Reed loses re-election, which I don't want to say is going to happen next year, I think it's just a showcase that in, in St. Louis there has been some pretty tremendous advancement when it comes to women not only being involved in politics, but but wielding significant power. You also have a uh, female circuit attorney and have for, for decades now and a uh, female treasurer, uh, not for the first time in decades as well when she was elected. She became a, a woman in that position. And, and license collector. And, and license collector. And recorder of deeds. Recorder of deeds. <laughs> you were waiting to mention that race, weren't we're you, Jason? We're going to be, be picking up uh, on the point of women in politics uh, in just a couple of moments. But let me get your take on it. Uh, look at the national level as well. Mm-hmm. Women are really Rachel. Women are really flexing their muscles these days. Yeah, they absolutely are, and I think a lot of that was a result of uh, Donald Trump's election in 2016. They saw a reason for them to get motivated. Annie herself has said on the podcast, said when I spoke to her on election night, that she was asked by the committee woman who held the post before her to run, and asked multiple times to run, and mentioned the. Um, a group of her supporters put up a slide on that rotating billboard at the corner of 44 and Van Deventer that said, run, Annie, run. So they are being asked to run and they're responding to those calls to run. And yeah, like Jason mentioned, it's 13 now of 29 if you count the, the board president in that mix, getting towards 50-50. Um, that, that change has, has been a little bit more sort of like gradual over time. There wasn't like this big influx of um, alder women joining the board. But even the conversation and discussion about how they're referred to is now they were referred to alder woman in Gracia, alder woman green, alder woman rice. And it used to be alder man in Gracia, alder man Tyus, even though they were women or are women, I should say. Jason, I think the Me Too movement has had something to do with uh, this surge as well. Well, I I think that people were being elected to office in St. Louis before the Me Too movement. Um, but, but just one thing I'm that— I'm thinking of the, the broader national scope. I, I, would, I would think so. I, I, I do think, though, that there sometimes is a difference between how women are perceived in, in politics. I think Megan Green has pointed out many times, I think even on this show, mm-hmm. that you know she has been, in her view, demeaned in ways that male colleagues wouldn't if—, if, if they had done similar things. I would even point out that there was a situation in Kansas City where an airport ballot initiative passed and everyone was like, you know, Sly James is a political mastermind and he is such a good political power. Well, I didn't hear that type of thing when Prop P passed overwhelmingly mm-hmm. and I didn't hear a lot of people giving Lida Cruson a lot of credit for that, even though she deserved all the credit for that because she put a lot of political capital into passing that. So... I certainly made the point to credit Mayor Cruzen for that because I think even as journalists, we have to be self-aware that we're not treating male politicians in a different context and with different standards than female 
politicians who, who hold the same job. Like in that case, I'm, I'm talking about two different mayors in two different cities. So my thanks to reporters Rachel Lippman and Jason Rosenbaum. By the way, a few hours after Jason's appearance on our program, his wife Lauren gave birth to their second child. Declan Todd Rosenbaum came into the world about 8.30 last night. Everybody, we are told, is doing very nicely. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you.